update, things don't change much. Fall means football season. Being married to a coach means measuring things mainly by wins and losses. Except for that one year. Jimmy Carter declares that if elected, he would do everything possible to clean up the federal government. In South Carolina weather... A guy named Gary Smith wrote an article in Sports Illustrated in 1996 called Someone to Lean On, where he told the real-life story of this young man called Radio. His, his name is James Robert Kennedy. He really does live. He's still living. And um, in real life, this guy was, was an outcast. And um, this whole transforming story about his life was written in this article. Someone read it, and that's how we now have the movie um, called Radio. One of the lines in this article really captured my attention. It's on your listening guide. And he said this, The choices that make or unmake life are so small. And then he proceeds to tell how Coach Jones and Radio uh, became friends. You see, Radio was ridiculed. One occasion, uh, some boys captured him, pulled down his pants, painted his backside with paint thinner, which burned him pretty severely. On another occasion, he was uh, convinced by some kids to pull that little red lever that sets off a fire alarm. Of course, the fire trucks came, and he was arrested for setting off a false fire alarm. He couldn't talk. He couldn't really interact with other people. He really did ride in a uh, shopping cart down the road. That's how this whole story starts, and, and that's all real. 
Um, but something happened as radio began to walk by and he would see this junior varsity. At the time it was JV. In the movie, of course, it's varsity. They've condensed everything to one year. This really happened over a, a span of about 40 years and it's still going on today. Um, but, but radio saw the JV practicing and he started coming by every day and watching these practices and he would stand there in silence and he would come by day after day after day, come by again and he would just stand there. Well, one day... The players are taking a break and they hear some noises off over to the side. And when they look over there, they see radio um, commanding his own imaginary football team. And he's trying to do all of the commands and the body language and the voice inflection of the coach. And he's just going on and on about this. Of course, the players begin to giggle. They think it's funny. But Coach Jones decided to walk over and start a friendship. And he did that with a canned Coke. And, And this whole story has changed an entire city. I want you to see some of the quotes from uh, some of the coaches. Put this up on the screen. First one is, when radio dies, it'll be the biggest funeral in the history of Anderson. It'll be like a senator's or governor's funeral. That's Herb Phillips, one of the assistant coaches. Coach Honeycutt, who is in the uh, uh, movie, going to be sad, sad, like losing a family member. And then Coach Jones, who later becomes head coach, he says, he is Hannah. That's the high school. He is Hannah. It's that simple. Radio has more varsity letters than any person in history. He's received a letter in football, basketball, and track every year for 40 years, and he files them all very neatly between his mattress and box springs. One time, he told some folks that he was going to be in 12th grade because he was in 11th grade. He said, I'm going to be in 12th grade. One of the coaches overheard him and told him that, well, 12th graders graduate and they leave. Um, radio became consumed with terror because he didn't want to have to leave. And so he decided from that on to tell everyone, this is a quote from radio, I'd be in 11th grade. That's what he tells everybody. And see, he's been in 11th grade for over 40 years now. Um, I want to uh, spend a little time telling you some things that I have gained from this movie. One of my favorite movies. And, And when I first saw it, I had tears in my eyes this week as I was going over and over it again. I had tears in my eyes as I thought about doing what's right and reaching out to someone who's less fortunate. And especially I picked this uh, movie for today, for Father's Day, because I wanted to share some things with dads, especially today, um, that, that make an impact uh, for the rest of eternity. First one on your listening guide. Here's the first thing I gleaned from this movie is choices reveal your character. The way you treat the less fortunate reveals what is really in your heart. And the Bible tells us that God pays attention to what's in your heart because the Bible says that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's inside of you is going to come out verbally. But I I think it goes even further than that. Whatever is in your heart will eventually determine your attitudes, which will eventually determine your actions. And God cares about the less fortunate. Look what he says in Proverbs 31. Now, Proverbs 31, most of you have heard of Proverbs 31. Why have you heard of Proverbs 31? Why is it famous? It's about wife. It says a a, a noble wife, a, a beautiful wife. It says all of these things about wives. But that doesn't start until later in the chapter. The first several verses, including this verse we're going to look at, verse 8, the first several verses have to do with a king telling his son the, the, the right type of man he's supposed to be. And then he says, now here's the type of woman that you want to look for. But look at verse 8. This is the king's instruction to his son. He says, you must defend those who are helpless and have no hope. Be fair and give justice to the poor and the homeless. So here's the thing. God is always on the side. He always takes the side. He chooses the side of the less fortunate. 
He always chooses the side of orphans. He always chooses the side of the homeless. He always chooses the side of the wounded and the poor, the nobodies of our society. And so if you are not on their side, then you are opposing God. It doesn't take long in our story to see that Coach Jones chooses the right side. This, uh, this choice here kind of reveals his character. There's one other thing. See the young man over there? I believe some of you already know him. He goes by radio. And he's going to be helping us out for a while. And we are not going to have a problem with that. No, no, sir. Call it up, Danny. One, two, three. Be who knew Coach Jones knew him to be this really strict disciplinarian who rarely showed emotion. So it really didn't make a lot of sense to people when he invited a mentally challenged young man to come and be around his players in football. And if you saw the movie, you might think that this was just kind of out of character. But if you read the story about his life, you'll see that, that really he'd been doing this his entire life. When he was growing up uh, in Anderson, South Carolina, he lived right across the street from a, um, a mentally challenged boy. And anytime someone would come and pick on that boy, Coach Jones, Harold, would come running out and he would fight him. He'd fight anybody who picked on that boy. 
Later, his uh, granddad had a movie theater and he would regularly sneak in a mentally challenged adult man, sneak him in for free, and then he would put popcorn in his hands. So he had always been defending these people, uh, mentally challenged people, and he just had this place in his heart for mentally challenged people. So when radio shows up one day, actually day after day after day, it makes a lot of sense that Coach Jones would reach out and try to befriend him with a can of, of Coke. Um, so it's not a big deal if, if you see from that perspective. Now, no one could possibly have envisioned what was going to happen when Coach Jones made this very small choice. Radio attends all the games. Those things you just saw, that happens. He's missed one game, uh, I think, in 40 years. I know at least 30 years he's only missed one game. He, re- he leads the team onto the field. He does go. He, it's just kind of like that scene you saw. He runs around and does different things. He's, uh, he goes and he plays in the band. He'll try to play the big drum, and he'll try to be the, the drum major. And then he'll go and he'll lead a cheer. At halftime, he leads his own um, halftime entertainment when he gets out on the field, and he's a one-man football game, and he does all of this stuff, and people cheer for him. Everybody knows radio by name. He's just a huge institution there. So we see that this very small choice by Coach Jones um, made a huge difference, impacted an entire city. Now, I want you to uh, think about the second thing. Small choices, choices reveal your character. Number two, it's never wrong to do right. Small choices made consistently over time pay huge dividends. In the movie, they show Radio's mom. This is all condensed into one year in the movie. They show Radio's mom dying that year. Actually, she died 30 years later. This started in 1964. Um, Coach Jones and and Radio actually go around and do speaking all over the United States. They have their own website, radioandcoachjones.com. Um, but in the movie, it's, it happens in one year. In real life, it happened 30 years later. Radio's mom dies, and he really does have some serious issues um, because mom's no longer there. And this scene depicts uh, pretty, pretty well what happened in Radio's life when he discovered that his mom was gone.
you will. You understand that? The beautiful. Always be with you inside, right in your heart. All right? course of doing all of their research for the movie this was just a conversation that the director had with coach Jones and he said it took him years for coach Jones to actually even open up and talk about that because it impacted him so profoundly so you can kind of see how this guy was was molded and shaped through the years I don't think it was an accident that he came across radio um, I don't think it's an accident that you come across things in your life but I want you to think about this it always costs something to do right when we watch this movie, no one ever questions whether it was right for Coach Jones to reach out to radio. But I don't think we ever think about the cost. It's always cost, uh, it always costs us something. It's always um, difficult. We have to make difficult choices to do what's right. In two weeks, we celebrate the 4th of July. 
And uh, I was talking to a group of folks, did a wedding this weekend, and at the rehearsal dinner we were talking about my dad and dad being on Guadalcanal and, and the stories that I've heard over and over. I got them memorized. Um, but dad tells me about the men who never came back. And, and it cost them their lives to fight for the freedom of our country. So it was very, um, doing the right thing back then had a very high price. If you think about the, the folks who are still in the service today, I talked to a young man yesterday um, who's... Um, in the uh, uh, National Guard, and he's been to Iraq and Afghanistan, and he's seen some horrible things. And the dude's in his early 20s, and you know, I thanked him for serving our country. It costs him a lot to do the right thing, and, and he may have to go back next year. He's scheduled, his, his group is scheduled to go back um, sometime in 2012. And I want you to think about the, the paramedics, the firefighters, the policemen, the folks that, that, that go and put their lives on the line every day to do what's right. It costs them a great deal. And if you go, uh, if you just think about the Christian life, there are missionaries who give up a lot of stuff. It costs them a great deal to do what's right and try to expand the kingdom of God to people who have never known. They have to give up relationships with family. Many times they give up the comforts of this country to go to another country and, and spend their lives trying to tell someone about Jesus Christ. It costs them to do what's right. And in a little less than four months, we've got a group of people going to Haiti, and it's going to cost them a great deal. It's going to cost them in relationships. It's going to cost them financially. It's going to cost them mentally and physically to get up from the United States, get on a plane, fly to Fort Lauderdale, fly over to Haiti. When we come back, we go into Miami. It's going to cost people a great deal. We'll sleep on the floor. We take our little air mattresses. It is hotter than a firecracker there. But the people, we love the people, and we're going to build a church. Uh, show that first uh, picture there, Danielle. Just got some pictures from last year. Just wanted to remind you, some of you haven't seen this. There were 12 of us that went last year. One of the ladies there in that white shirt, she's no longer with us. And she loved those Haitian kids, and she had already signed up to go again this year. She passed away just a, a couple of months ago, and she's not going to be able to go with us. Show the next picture. This is where we were actually working. We're in an in a area called Mariani, and what we're doing is we're carrying those rocks, all those big rocks. We had to transport them down the hill. All of the concrete was mixed up on the hill. We had to transport that down the hill. And, and those who went, man, we worked our tails off every day. It was hot. The water that we drank was hot, but it was purified water, so we were safe. But I'll tell you, everybody who went says it was worth it. We would come back exhausted that night. We would have our, our worship time, our share time. And, and everybody who went had a wonderful time and has said they would go again if, if God allows them to go. Next picture. That's where we work. Here's, we got to take one afternoon or actually one morning. We went up on the top of a mountain. It's beautiful in Haiti. And we just got to do one little afternoon or morning of sightseeing and, and just love the place. Now, here's what I want you to see. The next two pictures are back at Mariani. We worked last year in October. This is what it looks like today. The bottom floor is almost completely done. The bottom floor is where the children are having school. Uh, one more picture. And that's uh, another group that was there. And you can see the progress that's going been made since we were there. They're hoping that the school part is finished by September so that the kids can be meeting in school. And then when we get there in October, we're going to be building the church section, which is the second floor that's up there. Now, I just want you to think about these people are going to have to pay a high price to go. Now, I'm not about to suggest that everybody in here is supposed to go this year. But I am going to suggest that everyone in here can help pay the price of someone else who's going to go. Some of you are like, oh no, he's going to pass a plate. No. But here is what I'm going to say. You can help in other ways getting people to Haiti. How difficult is it to pray for folks to go? Because 
Every one of us, the first time we came into that airport, we were shocked. They told us it was going to be crazy, and they, crazy was not even the right word for it. But I'm not at all worried about going. We weren't ever in danger. It's just kind of crazy when you get there. And you get out to your bus, and, and then you start seeing people sleeping in tents and, and tarps and all of these different things, and you're blown away by the conditions. But you can pray for the people who are going. You can pray for physical safety, for emotional and spiritual health as we go. Is it, is it ever wrong to pray? No. Thank you. So, it's never wrong to do right. You can pray for people. You can also um, tell others about the trip. There are folks who have taken letterhead to their uh, place of, of, of their business, their place of employment, and told folks about that. We've had um, different groups contribute to uh, us going on this trip. And, and if, you, if your company contributes anything, that goes straight to paying the cost of somebody getting there. Uh, you can also... Um, you can help by um, helping us plan some fundraisers. Heather can't go, but Heather said, I can sure help someone else go. So she's texting me. Every time she comes up with an idea for a fundraiser, she texts me and says, hey, what about this? What about this? I'm willing to help. I can't go, but I can sure help someone else go. Some of you are supposed to be our helpers to help us fundraise so that someone else can go. And I think that you'll be blown away by what God will do in your life as repayment for your sacrifice of doing what's right. Now, I, I intend to keep going as long as I'm alive because it's going to take longer than my lifetime to rebuild this city. Or, or actually, the whole country, not just the city. Port-au-Prince was very hard hit. Mariani's just a little bit of, um, west of there where we go and we work. And, and I'm going to keep bringing this up. Some of you are going to get tired of me bringing this up. If you're really getting tired of me bringing this up, one of two things. Either you're supposed to go and you hadn't signed up or you're supposed to do something else to help someone else go. There's not a third option. Third option is you can quit coming, but you know, then you're running away, and I'll just tell you that you're running away from God. Um, if we are called as a church to go, then all of our church should be involved in that. Does that make sense? So it's never wrong to do right. We're going to go and we're going to sacrifice so that others um, can experience They can't afford to build this place. They don't have the knowledge to build this place. If you would see those children, you fall in love with the kids. And you can help us go. There's, there's 20 of us right now signed up to go. And some people have dropped out. Others, I, I have no doubt, others of you here are supposed to go and you just haven't said yes yet. So I'm going to keep on bringing it up until you do. Here's what Paul had to say in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. In your lives you must think and act like Christ Jesus. So being interested in the lives of others, thinking and acting like Jesus Christ costs you something. It's not enough to come and sit in a comfortable place an hour every week. We start at 11, we finish usually at 12 or just a couple of minutes after. That's awesome and we want you to come and we want you to be here every week, but that's not enough. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. There was a study done and and they discovered that the happiest people on the planet were the most giving people on the planet. The other side of that is the most unhappy people on the planet were the most selfish, the most self-serving people. So my question for you today is, which do you want to be? Do you want to be happy or unhappy? The way you give your life will determine whether you're happy or unhappy. If you spend it all on yourself, you'll die unhappy. But if you want to um, have fulfillment and purpose, then I think you need to move on to this next step. This is what I learned from this, this movie is that you must choose to leave a legacy. 
If you want to be fulfilled and happy in life, then you've got to make a choice. And some of you may need to make this choice today to leave a legacy. Deep down, every person wants to leave something behind that will live on after them. Um, lots of folks say that Christianity is important to them, but their kids see what is really important to them, and the legacy that you leave is what your kids really see. And I'm not saying you have to be perfect, because God knows and my children know that I'm not perfect. But if you're not living what you say you believe, your kids see that and they know what's important to you. That's the legacy that you're going to be leaving. Um, when, when we leave stuff behind, it tends to fall into three categories. And this is on your listening guide. First thing that we leave behind is souvenirs. Lots of people are so preoccupied with pursuing happiness that they don't really accomplish anything of lasting value. Now, souvenirs commemorate events, milestones, activities that you're involved in. And we all have souvenirs, and I love my souvenirs. In fact, when I was doing this, I was sitting in my desk at home, and um, I'm, I'm typing, and I started thinking about one of my most prized souvenirs. Now, I have, a, uh, I have an autographed uh, picture of Nolan Ryan. It's on Caleb's wall, and Janie did that for our first anniversary. So in, in 1992, she got this, because the picture is of Nolan Ryan pitching his seventh no-hitter. And so I was thinking, oh, I wonder where that ticket stub is. I have the ticket stub. I pulled it out. I found it, pulled it out. And, and it's really funny to me. It was uh, section 116, row 14, seat 20. And, and the funny thing was, back in 1991, it was $13 including tax. I was 20 rows up from the third base dugout. $13 including tax. We're in left field and we're paying 30 bucks here in, in a few weeks when we go. Inflation has killed the price. This was also at Arlington Stadium. And so I was holding my little ticket stub and I was so proud of that. And y'all aren't impressed at all, are you? See, the souvenirs impress us, not anyone else. I've got a picture of me when we went on a... Um, when, when Janie was pregnant with Caleb, and nobody even knew this yet, we went on a mission trip to Grand Junction, Colorado, and we were camping out. And if you know how Janie does pregnancy, she throws up for the first three months of pregnancy. And so we were in that first three months, and she's all car sick. We were calling it car sick as we were drive, driving up there. And people were like, man, Janie can't travel anywhere, dude. So she was struggling. Well, on that trip, we uh, announced that, that she was pregnant. We were going to have our first child and it was really a cool deal. One of the things we did was we went river rafting. And I've got two pictures of us going down the Colorado River. And man, that water was cold. I mean, hurt you cold. So cold that some of the younger kids actually got hypothermia. They had to wrap them up in those emergency blanket things. And we couldn't get them wet. And, and you can't really just stop in the middle of the river, you know. So we had to take them on down there. I've got these awesome pictures. And y'all don't care. Great souvenirs. But nobody cares about the souvenirs except the person who has them, the person who was there. They have some value to you, but they don't have intrinsic value. Nobody's going to buy my picture. Nobody's going to buy my, my ticket stub. They might buy Nolan's autographed picture, but that's something else. So we, we tend to, to collect souvenirs to leave behind. Nothing wrong with souvenirs. They just don't have intrinsic, lasting value. Second thing that we collect and we leave behind are trophies. Got a little bit of a ring there, Jeff. Can you turn that down just a little bit? Souvenirs are records of existence. Trophies are records of achievement. See, I saw Nolan Ryan's seventh no-hitter. Nolan pitched the no-hitter, and he's got the record. Nobody's even close to Nolan's record. Dallas Mavericks. I just got a t-shirt today. One of the things I got for Father's Day was a Dallas Mavericks championship t-shirt. The one that they were wearing that night, you know, and we were all cheering. Woo! Yeah. They got the Larry O'Brien trophy. I got a t-shirt with a picture of it. But 
That's my deal. If, if you're my team and you win, I buy a T-shirt. That, that, that's ultimate love for me is I buy a T-shirt. This, my family bought it for me, so I got the T-shirt. They got the trophy because they're the best in the world this year. Now, some trophies are actual trophies, but others are things that we spend our lives trying to accomplish or, or, or trying to acquire that are simply trophies that we've achieved something. And so, you, could, you could call them houses or cars or motorcycles or things like that. They're, they're not actual trophies that you won an event, but they are trophies because you spent your life trying to achieve or, or acquire those things. There's a third category, though, and this is where we've got to move on to if we really want to make a difference, and it's legacies. The, the way that legacies are different than souvenirs or trophies is they don't just mark something that happened in the past. Legacies live on and impact the present. Legacies are our gifts to future generations. And you've got to make a choice if you're going to leave a legacy and you're going to impact someone after you go. I want you to see Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Isn't that on there? I guess I didn't put that on there. Yeah, there it is. But you, this is Jesus. This is the last thing He's telling His followers before He leaves the earth. He's already been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's been appearing for 40 days to over 500 different people at different times. Some of them all at the... Well, one time it's 500 at the same time. He's appeared to all these people. Last thing He says to His disciples right here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be My witnesses telling people about Me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and at the ends of the earth. Jesus' message was what we call the good news. We call it the gospel, and that means the good news that although you're a sinner and you're separated from God, you don't have to die separated from God. The good news is that Jesus Christ came and He died on a cross, He rose from the dead, and you can be a child of, of God if you come through Jesus, if you ask Jesus to forgive your sins and live your life. That's good news. That was His message. But His method was legacy. He chose 12 men and he spent three years investing his life in those 12 men. And everything in Christianity depended on how good a job Jesus did leaving a legacy. And the whole reason we're here today is that Jesus did a good job. Now, I don't think anyone would question that Coach Jones has left a legacy. And I want you to watch this last clip and I want you to see how he focused on what was important and then we'll wrap this up. Evening, Dale, Don, Carol. Evening, everyone. Evening. Hi, Lou. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Good. I was gonna call you. Boy, you got yourself a proud of shot tonight, Dale. Yeah, coach. I think y'all know my wife, Linda, and my daughter, Mary Helen. Well, I had a talk with radio this morning. And I told him, not so many words, that we might be looking at some changes. It didn't take long to see. The more I talked, the more he didn't understand me. <laughs> we got a lot of that going on. When I was playing, I had a coach that used to tell me to keep my priorities straight. He'd say, son, you figure out what's important. You push everything else aside. 
I love football. I love everything about it. I love Friday nights when you're looking for a win and Saturday morning when you found one. (laughs) But that's not what's important right now. We got ourselves a young man we're not thinking about. The same young man who could hardly talk when we first met him, and now he's making announcements in the morning over loudspeaker. <laughs> Same young man who got himself a football letter last fall, but he never wears it because he can't afford a jacket. Now we're asking him to leave. Harold, we are not asking. The man's not done, Frank. I know... Some of you don't know or don't care about all that radio's learned over these past few months. But truth is, we're not the ones who've been teaching radio. Radio's the one who's been teaching us. Because the way he treats us all the time is the way we wish we treated each other even part of it. Look, I know something's got to happen here. I know, I know some change has got to be made. And I know I, I can't let what happened last season happen again. So I decided to step down as head football coach. I'd like to keep teaching if that's all right. Keep an eye on radio, make sure he stays out of trouble. And I'd like to spend a little more time with a few other folks I've neglected over the years while I still have a chance to. Much as I love this game, you know, it's not half as important as setting that right. I had a pretty good cup tonight, Dale. Figure out what's important, and you push everything else aside. And you know, I every year I, I love doing Father's Day sermons because I, I think about what's important, and it, it helps me renew what's important. And and I I have two legacies that I'm that I believe I'm supposed to leave behind when when I die, whenever that is. My first and foremost, according to Scripture, is my family. Um, heard a pastor say, Tony Evans, he said, if what you're doing in your family isn't working, don't export it to the church. Because the scripture says, you know, part of the qualification to be a leader is you're supposed to manage and lead your family well. And so I think about, you know, what my kids will say. And, and my kids will tell you that I'm, that I'm not perfect, but that I think they'll also tell you that I have admitted that. And I've gone to them many more times than they've had to come to me and ask for forgiveness because I was wrong. I hate being wrong. And I do it a lot. I practice it a lot. And I have to go and I have to ask forgiveness from them. So really the most important thing I do is what I do at home. What I do at 115 Longhorn, not what I do here in this building. But the second legacy is, is what we're doing here. And, you know, um, 
that I saw that scene and I was thinking about that looks so much like a Baptist business meeting. If you've never been there, just skip it um, because there's nothing fun. I've been in lots of them. We don't have business meetings here because I hate them. We, we used to have mean people in, in one church I was in. The, the teenagers would be there and they would wait for one mean old guy to stand up and just make a scene. And, you know, that some of them would even time it and figure how long it was going to be. And it was just like, this is not glorifying Christ. It's not accomplishing anything. We don't have business meetings here. Um, but people still complain. And people still tell me what my job is. The, the craziest job in the world is being a pastor. Because everybody thinks you're, they're your boss. And, and so everybody has suggestions. And some of them are, are good suggestions. Some of them aren't. And, and part of what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to go to God and say, you're in charge. I will do whatever you tell me to do regardless of what anyone else says. And I don't think that I have, I don't, I don't at all think that I have a, um, a monopoly on hearing from God. That's not what I'm saying. But people will come to me and they say, you should do this, 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 this. And when I look at my life, I'll go, but God told me to do this, 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 this. If God tells me to do this and you tell me to do this, Scripture says I'm supposed to obey God. And so, men, this is my, this is my challenge to you today, especially if you're a dad. If you're not a dad and, and you know, you're going to get married someday, it's highly likely you're going to be a dad. And at some point, you've got to choose what's most important. Is hanging out with the guys most important? Your family will see that and they will totally discount whoever you say you follow as, and worship as Lord. They'll see what's important. Is your commitment to family more important than your commitment to job? Is your commitment to Christ more important than, than even... Because the Bible says commitment to Christ is supposed to be number one. I told this couple last night. According to Scripture, your relationship, your love for Christ, your, your love for the, the spouse should be second only to your love for Christ. And your kids see it. So guys, dads especially, if you were to die tonight, I want you to think about what your children would say at your funeral, because that is your legacy. Whatever they see in your life, that's what they're going to say. That's your legacy. And maybe today, it's time to change that legacy. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Men, it is never wrong to do right. And right now, some of you need to make choices to do what's right. Some of you know you need to give your life to Christ because you've been number one. You've been sitting in that chair and you need to give your life to Christ. You've been fighting it. But you know if you're going to be the man God wants you to be, you have to surrender to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you how to do that in a second. Some of you men right now, you're so caught up in providing for your family. Your self-image is so intertwined with what you make at work that you're neglecting your spouse and your children. And the legacy that you're leaving is not a good one. And you need to repent of that. And you need to make some changes today that you will follow Christ and become the man that He wants you to be. Some of you just been punks. To your wife and children. And you need to make the ch choice today to stop it. To ask for forgiveness. To humble yourself. A lot of men think that if they ask for forgiveness it's showing weakness. When you are man enough to admit that you're wrong. That's when you're most like Jesus Christ. And no one ever called him a weak wimp. So men this is all about you today. 
What choice do you need to make? I want you men to ask God, what do you want me to get out of this message today? And what choice do you want me to make? Because small choices make or unmake a life. Ladies, you can do it too, but I'm being hard on men right now. Y'all just ask God, what do you want me to take away from this service? Father, I pray that you would change us into the men and women you want us to be so that we can leave the right type of legacy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.